The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Now, before we get into anything unusual or, you know, or standard, I should say, I'm going to get into something a little more unusual here. FBI raids offices of gun violence reduction program. Now, this is a program set up by Democrats. Um, you know, I don't usually call people out, but Democrats set it up and this is rather inconvenient for them because they decided they wanted to have a gun violence reduction program. And what it turns out is that these gun violence reduction programs in Baltimore to help keep the safe streets program running, it's a taxpayer-funded program, and the FBI raided the offices because of gang-related issues with these particular, I guess, organizations. They say that there's, you know, there were gang members who were involved in the in the situation. They they think there might be guns being transferred through this. So a program that was set up to stop violence is now being investigated by the FBI for helping promote gun violence instead of stopping it, which is just crazy. I mean, it just goes to show you they have gang, they're 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 pulling it down for possible gang affiliations. So even when you think a program is set up with the best of intentions. It's too easy for things to get twisted a lot of times, especially if there's money involved or people can gain some sort of advantage through it. They're going to do whatever they want to do for themselves, you know, and it's unfortunate. But the worst thing is most of these cities who have all these programs set up ways to keep standard American law-abiding citizens from owning their own guns. And that is the problem. You know, if you're a law-abiding citizen, you've had no issues in the past, You've had no legal run-ins. You've had no mental health issues. There should be no reason why you shouldn't be able to buy whatever kind of gun you want. You know, I'll say within reason. You know, obviously no one needs a nuclear weapon. Uh, even the countries that have them don't need them. I think we're hopefully we're past that point now where anybody would actually ever attempt to use a nuclear weapon in any kind of conflict. Although I could see the Israelis getting poked and prodded enough to where they might consider it. <laughs> Turn Gaza to glass and start over again. But that's a whole nother story. Those guys are going to battle it out forever. And I, like I've said before, they need to take the same stance George Bush had when it came to terror in this country. You're either with us or you're against us. And the Israelis need to just say it like that. You're either with us or you're against us. So if you're not with us, if you're not helping get intelligence out of Gaza to find the people who are doing this and you live with these people and you know they're there, then you're setting yourself up to be bombed, to be destroyed, to have your children killed, have schools bombed, hospitals bombed, wherever the terrorists are hiding their weapons, the Israelis are going to go and find it and bomb it to hell. And if you know there's somebody there hiding things, if you know there's people there setting up plans to commit terrorist acts and you don't say anything about it or you don't do anything to try and get the information to somebody who can use it, then you're just as guilty and you deserve whatever repercussions come to that area of the country. I'm sorry. There's no two ways about it. If you want peace, you have to fight for it. So anyway, but anyway, so this program in Baltimore, apparently they have issues with transparency and accountability for where the money's going and this and that. And there's gang members apparently who were 
helping hold positions in this particular office. It's just, it's, you know, it just got corrupted to the point where now it looks like they're going to shut it down. So, so the Democrats are probably, they're, they're finding this a little inconvenient at least <laughs> to, to say the least that this is, they're coming in and dismantling their program because of inappropriate action, inappropriate behavior. And this is happening now. So, you know, be aware of what's going on. You know, even the best of intentions can be twisted to be something bad. Now, I know I haven't covered it yet, but, you know, there was a shooting in Maine, and everybody who's been talking about that going on and on about it, and they have all this information. I waited a little while till I got all the information together so I can tell you what kind of person. I'm not going to say his name, but... uh or we can name him Mo, Mo Ron, because he was apparently he was mentally ill. He had been held by the army at some point for threatening to shoot up a, a reservist recruiting office. He was held for a couple of weeks under observation. He also told people he was going to commit a shooting spree. He uh, he punched a friend and said he was going to carry out a shooting spree. So and and you know it's been reported. So they knew they knew this guy was probably mentally unstable. But it's I guess. Maybe it's a lack of resources to be able to find him, bring him in, question him, test him, do whatever they need to do. When he's making terroristic threats like that, something needs to be done. And apparently this was not done in time. And apparently he went on his shooting spree and killed 18 people. And I think he wounded another 13 or something like that. But, yeah, I mean, and it was a deadly shooting. And now from what I understand, from what I've read, he did own all his guns legally. Now, I don't know when he purchased them, however. I don't know if he'd had them for years or they were newly purchased. But you would figure someone who's held under psychiatric watch for a couple weeks by the recruiting office that he or by the military when he threatened to shoot up a reservist recruiting station, that person should have a hold put on him being able to buy any new weapons, at least for a, a time where they can investigate and double check whether this person is sane enough to own them. And apparently he was not. So it's just, it's, it's crazy that this kind of stuff goes on. And yet, you know, we want to bash red law, uh, red flag laws for being too strict or being uh, too much of a problem or not being accurate enough. But yet here's one case where they probably should have been taken a little more seriously and at least brought them in for questioning, you know, see what they think, have somebody evaluate them. If he passed his evaluation and then did it anyway, they did everything they could have done. It's like there was a movie once where Clint Eastwood was a, um, a Secret Service officer, and he said, if somebody is willing to trade their life for somebody else's, there's almost nothing you can do to stop them. So that's the case. If this guy was willing to die to commit this heinous act, then, you know, there's probably not much you can do to stop. I mean, he was treated in a psychiatric hospital in New York. After an incident at the U.S. Military Academy in West Point when he accused several other soldiers of calling him a pedophile, he, he made veiled threats and said he would take care of things. So there you go. I mean, you know, he he was not necessarily the most stable person in the world. So it was going to be he made threats to shoot up a sheriff's office also. No, he's going to shoot up the drill center at Seiko and many other places. Okay, this guy made threats. He... uh he was not apparently stable, and I figure they would have gone and checked to see what his mental state was. Apparently, it was de- decreasing. It was diminishing. He was getting worse and worse, and uh, they didn't follow it through. They had it, they had plenty of issues to go and check on him, go see what was going on, have him evaluated, 
and yet he never seemed to uh, to get the help he needed. Maybe if he had had mental help, he may have been able to, you know, pull back from this from the edge of having himself die in the commitment of these acts. Well, he ended up shooting himself. He actually committed the act, got away, and was found, I think, several days later, dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. So it was just, I mean, it was just, it's a sad story, and I feel for all the families who have to deal with the deaths and everything, but it looks like there were plenty of signs, plenty of things that would have spurred law enforcement or mental health officials to say, hey, we have to further this investigation. This is something that seems like a real threat. I mean, he's already been mandatory. He already had had mandatory mental health investigations with him, and it just seems like... That would be the kind of thing where, you know, and I know red flag laws are not something we like necessarily or have issues with. Because, you know, there's the one story. It was several years ago. A family had called on a family member, said he was talking about politics really loudly. He was arguing with people about it and stuff. So they called to say, to tell the government to go take his guns away. Now, keep in mind that this guy had never done anything more than have spirited discussions with people he never threatened anybody he had never had any mental health mental health issues he had never been in trouble with the law at all and when the police went they went at 2:30 in the morning knocked on his door and of course i don't know how many of you would answer the door in your pjs with nothing in your hand not me someone's banging on my door at 2 in the morning i'm going to be armed to the teeth and you better be prepared for that if you're going to come banging on the door at 2 in the morning. I'll shoot first at that point. I'll let you break the door in if you have to to make sure you're in the house before I shoot you. But it's going to happen like that. You know, this could have been avoided if they had gone during the day or caught him when he was out shopping and just said, you know, we need to have a discussion with you. And treated it like one person reported him or one family reported him. And they were family members, but no one else had said anything about his mental state or anything like that. And they just, they basically didn't like him. He ended up getting killed because the officers were arguing with him about taking his guns away while he had a gun sitting in his hand. He raised it up. They shot him. I think he shot at them. There was an encounter. They were in his house at this time. So, but that's, that's just, that's, that's a red flag law where you go, okay, red flag laws are no good. But here's one where the guy had mental health issues had been treated for them, had been reported for making threats several different places, and yet nobody seemed to think that this was something to follow up on. It was just kind of tough. It's a tough situation, and I, I'm sorry it happened for all the families out there who lost people. I think they said people between the age of 14 and 67 were killed during his shooting spree. And it's just it's so sad that that happened. But they had had contact with this guy before, and I just don't understand why they didn't follow through. But, you know, for every... One crazy person that gets caught, there's probably three or four more out there that slip through the cracks and don't end up getting held accountable for what they did. And like I say, it is a health issue. And it's hard to determine because it's not as, it's not as blatant as having a rash or having a gash or a cut or some sort of physical ailment. You know, it's not as easy to see as that. And something we're going to have to battle with. I mean, I'm sorry, but that's just, there's no other way to do it than, than to say we're going to have to work harder to get mental health evaluation for people who need it and prevent them from owning guns where they can do damage to people in massive amounts like this. Okay, now for you people who are sane or relatively sane, not clinically insane, 
and you actually want to help protect your family, you want to protect your property, you want to protect yourself. I talked about this a, a little while ago, but right now I've gone to, uh, I've been seeing ads. I get the emails all the time with sales and stuff on weapons and ammo and things like that. Been to gun shows. Right now is a, probably one of the best times since 2019. If you're interested in buying any new weapons or anything different or you want to add to uh, your collection or you want to add a new gun or you want to become a first time gun owner. Right now is the time where the prices are the lowest they've been in probably four years. So if you're interested, start looking now. There are plenty of deals out there. There are a bunch of websites you can go to that have massive sales all the time. Get on some email lists. See what comes up. And if you've never purchased a gun online, it is not very difficult. Now, they don't ship it to your house. It will go to your local dealer, and he will have to get your ID, your gun permit if you have one. He will get you to fill out the the proper form to be able to do the background check and perform the background check before you're allowed to take possession of the weapon. So just because you purchase the weapon online does not mean it gets shipped to your mailbox and you go get it a few days later. You still have to go through the same federal background check as anybody buying any gun anywhere in this country has to go through. So before someone comes out and tells you, oh, there's a gun show loophole, you can buy one anywhere, they'll ship it right to your house. All of this is entirely fake information. This is false. Flat out lying to you about the procedure that has to be done. Now granted, it's not difficult. In fact, most, most of the larger gun websites where they sell weapons will give recommendations for a possible dealer in your area. They'll give you a list of people you can choose from. If you want to go over and meet the people before you have something shipped to them so they know who you are, probably not a bad idea. You might even find the weapon you want at the same or lower price at a local dealership. Now, if it's something unusual or something unique that not everybody carries, by all means, order it online, have it shipped to your local dealer, and they will usually charge a fee anywhere from 10 to $50 to depending on where you are. Some states have it as high as $100 to receive a weapon through an FFL. It just depends on what background checks that state requires and how much effort it takes on the part of the dealer to be able to transfer the weapon to you. Sometimes there's a waiting period in some states. Sometimes there isn't, depending on, you know, your background, you know, your background check, how fast they get it back. So, it's not difficult though. Like say, I know, um, I'm in Georgia and right here you can have it shipped to your local dealer. As soon as it gets there, you can go show your, your driver's license, fill out the form and you can leave with it that day. Not a problem. It may take a few days to ship it, but usually not that long. But now, of course, most internet places are charging tax state sales tax on whatever they sell to any other state. So keep in mind, your bargain may not be the best thing to buy it online, but if it is, you can get it shipped to a local dealer. They'll make a little money transferring it to you. You'll get a good deal on whatever weapon you decide to get. And the prices now are lower than they've been in probably almost three or four years. So now would be the time to look. Now, the ammo prices are still a little bit elevated, but they are falling. They're coming down fast. They're becoming more reasonable by the day. A lot of that may have to do with the inflation of the manufacturing components, which is going to be difficult to get out from under. So be aware of that. But still. A case of ammo that was $400 just a couple of years ago is now down to like 220 230 Not as low as the 160 170 it was back in 2019, 
but it's still it's on its way down and getting better almost every week. I see sales come out on cases of standard pistol ammo for the best prices I've seen in a long time. So now may be the time to stock up. Now I say that, and of course, as soon as a government entity decides they want to implement some sort of new gun control or ban some sort of specific type of weapon, if your rifle has a pistol grip, oh my God, it's twice as deadly as one without a pistol grip. Yeah, when they start doing stuff like that, that's going to drive the prices back up again. It's going to drive people to stockpile ammunition, buy extra weapons, and the prices are going to escalate. So if you have any interest in adding to a collection or, or even getting your first weapon, economically speaking, this may be the best time you've had in the last five years to do this. So get out there and take a look around, see what you want to add. But I understand also with inflation on regular household items, groceries cost more, health insurance costs more, gas costs more. So you may not have as much spare income to purchase that extra weapon you want. So even though the prices are lower, the inflation is driving regular the price of regular household expenses up. So it may be a little more difficult to get it done. But better now than in six months from now when the government's trying to pass some sort of crazy gun ban, anti-constitutional gun ban, and the prices go up two or three times what they are now. All right, we've got to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this, and we'll talk a little more about it. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Are you a veteran of Desert Shield or Desert Storm? We do a show for you every Monday at 1 p.m. on veteran-owned americaswebradio.com. Our show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. This is Roger B. You're listening to <clears throat> Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. Now, right before I left, I was telling you, now is a good time to buy a weapon. If you want one, if you have some already and you want to add to your collection, now's a good time. The prices are low. The pipelines are full. Now, granted, this will diminish a little bit with the upcoming holidays because, of course, Black Friday, if the pipelines are still full and there's no huge demand that's been placed on guns or ammo, Black Friday is a good time to look. A lot of things go on sale. A friend of mine was purchasing um, AR-15 parts this past weekend, and he said they are as low as he's seen in a long time. So if you're interested in building your first AR-15 rifle or getting an AK rifle or some sort of semi-automatic rifle, now is a good time to look. The supply lines are full and the prices are low. You may wonder, do I really need a weapon? Are things that bad? Well, let me tell you about a quick... We'll jump up to Washington, D.C. for a minute, where... Two, apparently two youths were approaching a car driver to try and carjack his car from him. Turns out he was a security guard and he had a legally owned weapon and a carry permit to, to carry it with him. They said the two guys came up to the car, ordered him out of the car. One guy put his hand in his belt as if he had a weapon under there. The guard got out of the car, shot one of the perpetrators 
and the other one ran away. Now the the perpetrators here. This is this is the part that gets me. Thirteen year old was shot in the commission of trying to. He didn't even have a driver's license. Thirteen years old trying to carjack a car from somebody, threatening somebody with what he made it look like he had a weapon. Now he didn't have one on him when they transported him to the hospital. So probably didn't have it, but made it appear as if he did. He was shot by the security guard, and he ended up dying a short time later at a local hospital. And it's not the first time a 13-year-old has been involved in a carjacking in our nation's capital this year. A lot of other cities are seeing declines in some criminal activity, while Washington, D.C. is seeing a huge increase. So this is why you need to be able to defend yourself. This is why you need to be able to take care of yourself, your family. What if what if this security guard had been in the car with his family and these guys had come up, tried to carjack his car with his family in the car? He probably, he probably would have done the same thing and it would have ended up being just as sad of a result, a 13-year-old getting killed in the commission of a felony. You know, and I just wonder... Where are the parents of these kids? There was a 12-year-old that was arrested in August in the connection with a carjacking. I mean, where do these kids, I mean, do, are their parents just not around? Are they working too much? Do they not care what their kids do during the day? Are they even still living at home? Are they, you know, people, are they living on the streets? Who knows? But 12, 13, when 12 to 16-year-old kids are committing carjackings and they don't even have a driver's license yet, something is wrong with that. You know, they're getting arrested and they're getting charged with armed robbery. They're getting charged with carjackings. They're getting charged with a, a plethora of felonies in the nation's capital. And you just kind of wonder, I mean, what is the solution for this? How do we keep young kids from getting involved in such heavy or serious criminal activities. I mean, and here, somebody, 13-year-old kid, lost his life because he was trying to carjack somebody, and he picked the wrong person. He picked somebody who was able to defend himself. So be aware. You know, if you if you live in a big city in an urban environment, just because someone looks like they're too young to commit a carjacking doesn't mean they are. Be very aware. Be situationally aware. If you see someone approaching the car... If they're walking out into the road, coming up to your car, they're walking up to you in an intersection, be aware, be prepared, and try to do your best to have an escape plan. Like I say, if you're at a light, maybe you could run the light if you had to to get away. That would be the first, that would be the first thing you want to do is try and get out of the situation. If you can't, if there's somebody in front of you, if there's traffic coming the other way, you can't just go through the intersection, you can't accelerate and get out of it or back up and get out of the situation, you have to be prepared to face a possible armed attacker. Are you ready? Have you practiced? Do you have a weapon, or would you just give up your car and walk away? And would you take your family out of the car? Would they allow you to? What if they just jumped in the driver's seat, took off with your whole family in the car? You know, that's the thing, too. You have to have a plan. If someone comes up to carjacking, your family's in the car. Are you going to try and get them out first? Or are you going to get out of the car and try and have a conversation with somebody while the other guy pushes you out of the way and jumps in your car and takes it off, takes off with it with your family in the back? You have to be able to be your own first responder. You have to be able to protect yourself, your family, your property. There's no other way to do it than for you to become proficient with firearms. There's no other way to do it. No one is going to stand up for you at that moment because when when seconds count, cops are minutes away. Now, granted, if you have an opportunity, 
get a cop on the phone, maybe that would be enough to scare these people off. You know, if you have other people in the car, flip on any kind of video device you've got, flip your phone on, record whatever you can, get as much information as you can, that may be enough to scare somebody off. Because most criminals don't want to be seen. That's kind of like their ultimate goal, to not have their face out there, to be seen, to be identified later. Most of them are doing this just for a quick, easy score. But if someone does come up to you with a weapon or even pretending to have a weapon, how do you know whether it's there or not? You don't. That's why so many of these people get shot unarmed. It's because they're pretending to have a gun or they give the indication that they've got a weapon. And that's going to cause you to respond in kind. You don't want to be the one who gets shot in a situation like this. What did uh, General Patton once say? He goes, the idea of warfare is not to die for your country. It's to make the other son of a bitch die for his country. So same thing here. You don't want to die to protect your family. You want the other guy to die while you're protecting your family. And, you know, it's sad that it's come to this, that such young kids are involved in such serious crimes. And that should be one more reason for you to go out there, take the step. If you're not a gun owner, take the step. Go to a range. If you have somebody who already has guns, see if they'll take you with them. Or go sign up for a basic weapons class where they let you actually shoot. If it's something you think you can do and you could learn or you want to learn, then by all means do it. If you try it one time and say, this is not for me, I don't feel comfortable with this, find an alternative. There are taser weapons. There are gas Firing weapons, bow. <laughs> Legend Dave's uh, <laughs> he's showing me a bow and arrow. <laughs> he's charading me a bow and arrow. Yeah, that would be one way too. But again, that's a little difficult to carry in your car all the time. But yeah, I mean, there are a, a plethora of other weapons, other defensive techniques that you can use that even are non-lethal. You know, a taser is a perfect example. Now, there's a difference between a taser and a stun gun. Let me tell you what that is. A stun gun is what most people call a taser. It is an electrical device, usually a large capacitor powered by batteries, that has two electrodes on it. When you hit that trigger, it arcs across those two electrodes. (coughs) And if you're touching someone's skin or through their clothes, it will arc through them and give them a jolt of anywhere from 10 to 80,000 volts. Is it dangerous? Sure it is. It could stop your heart, but most of the time it's low enough, it's a low enough wattage to where it's not going to do any permanent damage. So, but that is a stun gun. Now a taser is actually considered a firearm because it uses a charge to fire a projectile that is wired to the the weapon itself that will induce a charge and you can hit somebody from several feet away 20 30 feet away and basically stun them without having to chase them down or get close enough for full contact (coughs) excuse me but a taser is actually a gun it is considered a firearm because it uses an explosive charge to fire the electric barb out of it it is considered a gun, so you would have to get go through gun background checks and things like that. But a real taser can put some distance between you and a possible attacker because it has a range of anywhere from, I think, 10 to 30 feet. And when it hits, it sticks in, and it sends a jolt of electricity through your through your target and hopefully will disable them to the point of you being able to get away. 
Now, you can buy rechargeable cartridges for these, which includes wiring into the unit itself and firing the new barb. Most of them have either one or two shots, depending on how they're set up. And generally speaking, non-lethal, unless someone has a heart condition or something else that could cause them to be more susceptible to an electric charge. But that way, at least, you can protect your family or at least buy yourself some time to get away, if nothing else. But keep in mind, if you try to purchase a taser, don't confuse a stun gun with a taser. They're both very effective, but a stun gun, you have to be within reach of somebody. You have to be able to touch them. You have to be able to touch this to their body or at least to their clothes. And most of the time, it'll go through most clothes. Now, if they're wearing a really thick jacket or leather a lot of times, it will not go through that. Now, a taser is a pointed barb, which will actually penetrate most types of clothing, including jackets. From what I've seen, it's got a, you know, a pointed barb on the end of it that comes out and it will penetrate most clothing and provide the electric shock that you need to put somebody on the ground. It will usually stun somebody to the point of incapacity. It will incapacitate who you shoot with it. So be aware of that. And that would be an option if you choose not to get a standard firearm. But a standard firearms to me seems like the easiest, most effective way to make sure you will be able to protect everybody in your car, everybody in your house. Because if a burglar's coming and you try and taser him and you miss two shots, that's it. You're done. Tasers don't usually have more than two, two rounds in them. Now, especially if by some chance here the guy in D.C. was dealing with two attackers. Now, I don't know. It doesn't say what angles they were coming from or where they approached the car, demanded him to get out, put his hand on his waistband like he was going to have a gun. The guard got out of the car, shot one of the perpetrators, pointed the gun at the other one. He was already running away at the time. So he chose the best course of action at that point by not shooting the guy running away. Because you never want to have to shoot somebody when they're retreating. You know, unless they're firing back over their shoulder or firing back at you still, once they don't pose a threat anymore, you stop. Keep, you hear what I just said? If they don't pose a threat anymore, then you stop. But if you shoot them and they're still standing there holding their gun, you keep shooting until they either hit the ground or the gun falls out of their hand. They are still a threat until they are not. You know, you see it in the movies all the time. The guy gets shot, goes down, pulls his second gun out or picks his gun up and shoots anyway. That is not as unlikely as you may think. Shooting somebody does not mean you're going to kill them or incapacitate them permanently right then and there. There are certain areas that will cause that kind of damage quicker than other areas of being shot. But keep in mind, don't take your eyes off your potential threat, especially if there's just one. Keep your eyes on the potential threat until you know he is no longer a threat or she is no longer a threat. Make sure the threat is gone before you take your attention away from the perpetrator. Don't let them get up and run away or shoot back at you or stand up and start shooting at you again. Don't let that happen. Be situationally aware, but don't get too hyper-focused in case they have other people with them. You don't want to be attacked from behind or be attacked from the side if you don't see it coming. In fact, most training will tell you once you shoot, you look around, you move your head from side to side to scan the the area to see if there's anybody else there. Then focus back on the one target you have. Don't let somebody sneak up on you like that because that's a that would be a really bad way to go after you neutralize one threat to have other threats come and not see them coming. So there's all kinds of training that you can do. But like I say, 
neutralize a threat and then get yourself out of the dangerous situation as soon as possible. You know, I know you're, you're supposed to call the police whenever there's a shooting, but you know what? Get yourself to a safe place first. It doesn't matter if it's blocks away. Get somewhere safe. Then you can call and report whatever happened, especially if they were armed and threatening you first. <clears throat> I'd rather be, what is it, judged by 12 than carried by 6? Meaning I'd rather go to court and try and convince a jury I was in the right than have my pallbearers carry me to my grave because I made the wrong decision. You know, it's just just one of those things. But keep in mind also, every bullet you fire has a lawyer attached to it. So make sure you make clean shots, practice accuracy overall. But then again, speed is important too because you don't want to be too slow. If someone sees you coming up to fire at them and you take too long, you may be shot first. You know, it's one of those, it's, it's one of those things that's kind of a, it's a catch 22. You want to be fast and you want to be accurate and you want to have a balance between the two, but you also have to be aware of the situation you're in. Is it necessary to use lethal force in this particular situation? Someone comes up to you with a, a baseball bat that can kill you. In fact, more people are killed with blunt instruments than are with rifles. So someone coming up to you with a blunt instrument is more likely to kill you than someone coming up to you with a rifle and trying to shoot you. Just saying, that's the statistics indicate that that is the case. Don't let somebody get too close to you with any kind of weapon. <clears throat> in fact, the best knife fighters in the world say if they can get within 21 feet of you, they seem to think they have a 75 to 90% chance of getting to you before you can shoot them. Now, granted, it entails a lot of very swift back and forth movement to distract and disorient you but these guys and these guys are professionals too that's what they do for a living that's what they learn to do but be aware don't let somebody in that zone that 21 foot zone if you're not in your car don't let them get within 21 feet of you or if they are keep an eye on somebody who looks like they may be a threat or if they are threatening you and they start stepping towards you either back up keep that distance or exercise your right to defend yourself. You know, it's it's one of those things where, in the end, if you end up walking away alive and they don't because they threaten you with a deadly weapon, that's the situation you want to be in. You don't want to be on the receiving end and not being a, not being able to defend yourself. You don't want to say, "Oh, I wish I had my gun with me." I would never want to get shot somewhere and say, "Oh, I wish I had my gun with me." Yeah, don't do that. Be prepared. And if you're going to take on the responsibility of carrying a gun, do it as often as you possibly can. Be aware, however, there are certain places you're not supposed to carry them. Now, in New York City, this has become a point of contention. New York City has decided that certain blocks of the city are just gun-free zones just because they decided so. They're pinpointing spots where you can't carry a gun where you can, and they're making these broad areas non you know, no gun zone. So if you're walking down the street, you can walk in and out of gun-free zones, not even know you're doing it, and make yourself susceptible to a possible attack. And it's funny because they're so worried what the law-abiding citizens are going to do, they don't even consider that the criminals are not going to pay attention to any restrictions at all. They will not have any restrictions because they don't care. They're criminals. They're breaking the law anyway by coming trying to rob and attack people with their weapon. And if you can't defend yourself in those certain areas, it's going to be more difficult. Now, most cities, that once you have a carry permit, there are very few places you cannot carry one. You know, obviously, you can't carry one on any aircraft. Federal regulations prohibit that. You cannot usually take one into any federal building. 
courthouse uh, or federal building where they, you know, where they allow people to come in and conduct business. So be prepared for that. If you go somewhere, know where you're going, know what kind of restrictions they have, and be prepared to not take a weapon into a federal building or even a state or county building. They may have provisions for no weapons inside. I know I've been several times to a a county building where I had to take a pocket knife off in order to uh, walk into the building. Now, sometimes they'll hold it for you there, put it with a number, check it for you. Other times you have to... Go back to your vehicle, put it back in your vehicle, and then come back. You know, and I don't know. It depends on where you live. I know where I live, most people will carry a pocket knife of some sort, and it doesn't matter usually what size it is. They will ask you not to bring it into certain buildings, and you have to abide by these laws if you want to do business within these buildings. Now, on the bright side, most of these government buildings have ways of conducting business online, and you can think – COVID-19 for that, that kind of forced their hand in a lot of places to be able to make you have to do things online, do things without having to be in direct contact with people. And that has made it easier for people to conduct business with state, uh, state, county, federal offices by doing things online. And it's really helped. It's done a lot to help that. So keep that in mind also. You may not have to go to a a government building to conduct business if you can do it online. If it's something basic, pretty straightforward, pretty routine, then look into doing your business online if it's not anything very specific or unusual. If you don't need to go get photographed or get fingerprinted, then you may be able to do it online. So be aware of that too. Take advantage of that whenever you can because you don't want to have to go unarmed, especially in big cities when you're going to county offices. People know you're not carrying weapons in there. They know you don't have your knife with you. They know you don't have your gun with you because you're not allowed to bring it into the building. And a smart criminal, although there are very few of them, but criminals with some awareness will realize, you know, these people are walking from this government building back to their car. They would be a perfect target because I know they don't have a weapon with them because they're not allowed. So... Keep that in mind, too. But most places, I try to go to places that don't have any restrictions on that so I can carry my weapon. Nobody knows I have it except for myself and a few close friends. And no one will know I have it unless the need arises for me to pull it out and use it. And at that point, marksmanship is going to be number one on my mind. Situational awareness will be first. And then marksmanship, if I ever get to the point where I have to take the weapon out of its holster. Because... You want to be accurate. You want to be deliberate in what you're doing, and you don't want to end up making a mistake. Because like I say, every bullet has a lawyer attached to it, and unless the threat is real, you have to be extremely careful. So now you've decided, okay, I'm going to buy a gun. I'm going to go. I'm going to become an armed citizen. I'm going to exercise my right as an American. Well, now it's time to go, go to a gun show, go to a local gun store, Go to a big box store. Wherever you want to go, that's where you need to go try and find what you want to purchase. And you may wonder, well, what kind should I get? And I am never one to tell, to recommend a gun to somebody without knowing how big they are, how small they are, what kind of training they've had, if they've had any previous experience, if they're a male, a female, biologically speaking, of course. And what they desire. Do they have something in mind that they want? 
Is that the best thing for them? Maybe, maybe not. But they have a, something in mind. And I understand that, you know, they have a, a specific idea of what they think they want. If it's the best for them, I can try and guide somebody if they ask me. But if not, go take a look. The best thing you can possibly do, go to the local range where they rent weapons to use, open up the rental counter, get in there and try a half a dozen guns. As only most rental most ranges, as long as you use ammo purchased from them, they will let you shoot the gun as much as you want as long as you buy your ammo from the gun store itself. That's the best way to learn. And ideally go with somebody who has some experience or get some training beforehand, even before you get into the range. Get somebody to show you a semi-automatic handgun. Get them to show you how it loads, how it unloads, how it chambers around, how the slide operates, how the sights work. Learn all this before you even set foot in a range. If you have that, if you have that available to you, that's what you need to do. Even if you're just learning a new weapon. Familiarize yourself with it outside the range before you get into the range because the range can be a scary place for if you've never been there. There's a lot of noise. There's a lot of people. Things follow a very specific procedure. You have to be extremely careful the way you handle your weapon. It's better to learn all this before you go into a range. Learn the range etiquette. Learn how not to point your gun at anybody when you're in the range, to keep it pointed down range all the time. <clears throat> Don't go back to a table behind you and get your gun and bring it up to the range. Bring it in the case up to the front of the range. Put it on the platform that you're shooting from. Then open it up. So make sure it's pointed down range the entire time it is out of the case. And when you're getting ready to leave, don't walk it back to a case that's behind you. Put it in the case that you brought up with you and carry it back. Keep it contained. Now, if it's in a holster, make sure it's holstered before you walk away from that firing line. You don't want to walk away with a gun in your hand from a fire line if you can help it. Now, there are exceptions to this. If you're undergoing training classes, they will instruct you on how they want exercises run. They will instruct you on how to do things according to what they're teaching you. But most of the time, almost every time you're going to have that weapon unholstered or uncased, it is going to be pointed down range. So keep that in mind. And if you don't know, if you can get somebody to help you, by all means do. If not, go on YouTube. There are videos that instruct you on how to handle weapons, how to get a sight picture. And even if you don't have your gun yet, buy a toy gun with actual sights on it. Buy something with sights on it. Learn what a sight picture is supposed to look like. You can hold your fingers out at arm's length and kind of get a basic two fingers on one hand, one finger on the other. Learn how to line up a sight picture. So when you get a weapon in your hand, you'll know what the sight picture is supposed to look like. Practice these things. I mean, a lot of this stuff can be done before you go to the range, and that makes it so much easier because that way you don't get in there, and the first time you're shooting, you're hearing guns go off all over the place. You can't hear what your instructor is telling you because you have to have hearing protection on. There are ways to get a big advantage. Another thing, if you get a chance to go to the range, go during the week, during the day. Go when there's less people there. Go at the least busy time so you have a little bit more privacy. You have a little bit more ability to focus because there's not as many people there shooting. If you happen to run into an empty range, that's ideal situation. That way you can talk to your instructor. They can hear you. You can hear them easier and you can get the instruction you need and practice without the stress of having people shoot all around you. 
which, you know, it's just, it's a little distracting too. And there's certain etiquette things like, you know, if somebody's firing, you usually wait for them to finish their magazine or their cylinder and then you get up and fire. Now, if it's really crowded, you're not going to have that option. You fire at the same time, try and focus on what you're doing. And that's actually good practice to fire under distracted, under distracted conditions. So you can learn to get beyond the distractions and focus on what you need to do. That's like with any activity that requires concentration, any sport, any activity that requires extreme concentration, you have to learn to filter out some of the distractions so you can focus on the basics. How you hold, you know, whether it's uh, bowling or shooting or baseball, whatever it is, focus on the basics. Learn the basics first, then build your skill set from there. It's always easier when you have a good basic background and you learn those inside out. Even if you don't have a weapon but you're planning on buying one, like I say, buy a toy or training weapon first. Handle that. Learn how to line the sights up. Learn how to make a proper grip. All those things are so important to getting a, your first gun and doing it right. And like I say, most of the time you can talk to people who have some experience. And most people who are enthusiasts are more than happy to help you out, more than happy to take you. Now, when you do go to the range with somebody, I would say volunteer to pay for all the ammunition that you're using. Pay for the range time for both of you to get in there and shoot and let him provide hopefully he'll provide you with the weapons the instruction and that and you pay for everything else as a way of saying thank you for letting me use your weapons thanks for letting me use your time taking your time out to teach me things now sometimes you know your best friends may not take that from you but you know what you at least offer so that way they'll want to take you again so it's just it's just etiquette you know when someone's helping you out with something make it as easy on them as possible and make it worth their while now, if you go the professional route, get professional training, then, of course, there's a set fee for the class. There's a set amount of ammo you will shoot for that, that day or that weekend or whatever it is you're doing, and all that will be scheduled. And if you don't have anybody to help you, go to a local range, find out what classes they have, explain to them your skill level, and don't exaggerate. If you've only fired a gun one time when you were 15 years old in your uncle's, you know, your uncle's farm field, Tell them, you know, you have very little experience. You've only done it one time before, and you haven't done it in years. Let them know. Be The more honest you are with your instructors, the more they're going to be able to help you, the more they'll focus on what you need to know. So you know, don't go in there saying, oh, yeah, I watched all these movies. I saw all these videos. I'm experienced. No. You've seen videos. You've seen movies. You understand. You may understand the basics in theory, but until you get a chance to practice you're never going to be at that level until you it happens in actuality. You cannot learn a skill by just watching other people do it. It will help you to do it better, to have a little bit of a head start if you're learning the right techniques. Not every video you watch on YouTube is going to be accurate in the way they're supposed to be teaching you. What they teach to somebody else may not be what's good for you. You may need a different kind of instruction or a different kind of weapon or a different kind of grip when you're handling a weapon. You may need a different kind of target to start with. You may need a different stance depending on what you're, if you have any limitations or anything like that. You want to cater it to your own strong suits and you got to cater around your weak points. 
<clears throat> one of the uh, toughest things I found is that when I'm instructing somebody, if they happen to be right-handed and left-eye dominant, that's probably one of the most difficult things to do, especially if you're shooting rifles. That's That becomes almost impossible because to have your left eye over the sights and try and have the weapon on your right shoulder – that becomes extremely difficult. Now, I do have a pair of shooting glasses I lend people that has the opposite eye blocked out so they can't use that one, and they're forced to use the one that they're supposed to to shoot with. And that's probably one of the biggest problems to get over with people who don't know. They can't focus right. Now, with a handgun, you can shift it over a little bit, especially using iron sights, and you can get a sight picture even if you're left eye dominant and right-handed or right eye dominant and left-handed. You can adjust a pistol much easier than you can a rifle. A rifle does not adjust like that. So be aware of that. Know that if you're shooting a rifle, you need to be right-eyed and right-handed to be able to function properly or at least be able to block off your dominant eye so your your weaker eye can take over and you learn to use it. Now, you can condition yourself if this becomes a sport you want to indulge in. If it, if you want to become an enthusiast, you can train yourself to be either become co-dominant or push your dominance toward the eye that you need in order to shoot more accurately. It takes, you know, there are certain exercises that you can do to handle that, things you can do to make that happen. And it's, you know, it's just a matter of practice also. But like I say, with rifle shooting and shotgun shooting, much more important to have the same, I guess, handedness and eye dominance on the same side. Because it's much harder to to shoot with one dominant eye and having a, a dominant hand that's opposite. With a pistol, much easier to make adjustments. You can shift it over a little bit. You can use your left eye or tilt your head a little bit to where you tilt the eye you want to use toward the target. Meaning if you want to be, if you need to use your right eye, you tilt your head slightly to the left. You turn your head to the left to push your right eye forward and give it a clearer picture. Same thing opposite for the left eye dominant and left-handed. You want to push that left eye toward the front so your right eye won't take over and try and see things if you're right eye dominant. There are techniques, there are tricks that you can use to work around this, but this is probably one of the most difficult things to do. Now, if you're shooting and you're left-handed and left eye dominant, perfect. Right-handed, right eye dominant, perfect. That will not become an issue with you then. That's something you move right on to the next step of your grip, your sight picture, your stance. Those are all the things you want to get into next. Once you have that down, then you move into actually getting a weapon and learning how to actually fire it. Now, a good instructor will probably take the weapon. They'll show you how it works. They'll go into the range. They will fire the first round out of the weapon. Why? One, to make sure the magazine is suited properly or make sure the cylinder is set up right for the first shot. Because, you know, I can't tell you how many times people put a magazine in a gun, they pull the trigger, the magazine falls out, splashes rounds all over the floor. Now, granted, it's not going to hurt anybody, but it's still, it's going to be a little disorienting at least. Have the instructor fire the first round so you can see and hear what to expect when you get up and fire your first round. That way you can see, oh, okay, that, I see the, I see the gun go off, I hear the noise, so I'm not going to be shocked when I pull the trigger for the first time. Let him take the first one or two shots, then transfer the weapon to you. Make sure you get your right grip on it. Make sure you get that side picture. Fire your first round with the intent to only fire one round. 
Don't go in there and say, okay, I got 15 shots. I'm going to take these 15. Go in there and say, I want to fire one shot just to see how it is, just to see what kind of reaction I have, just to kind of see what kind of recoil there is or muzzle flash. Once you fire the one shot, then go at whatever pace you decide is comfortable for you, finish it out, and move on to the next one. But always fire your first shot one shot first. In fact, I used to know an instructor who would give them a magazine with one round in it. They'd go through the the chambering, loading, and firing that one round before they ever had a full magazine inserted in the gun. Now, granted, that's for someone with zero experience who's never fired a gun before or doesn't have any experience in using a particular type of weapon and they don't understand the basic fundamental mechanicals of how that fun- how that gun functions. Because I can't tell you how many people have pulled a magazine out of a gun and then tried to hand it to me like, here, it's unloaded. No, no, no. If it was a semi-automatic... And that slot was not locked back, and you pull the magazine out, there is still a round in that chamber. And I can't tell you how many times people will just forget about that round in the chamber. It's happened to multitudes of people. In fact, it's funny because there's a video out there of a gun shop, and they ask the people, oh, here, can I see your weapon? He goes, oh, it's unloaded. And every gun they get handed... They've been told it's unloaded, unless they say, I don't know, I haven't checked it. But most people say, oh, I just checked it, it's unloaded. And you don't know how many dozens of times they rack that weapon back, a live round flies out of the chamber, and they look at the owner of the weapon like, thought it was unloaded, didn't you? Thank God they didn't turn around and shoot it at something in the store to prove it was unloaded because they would have fired a round off. So just always check twice or three times. Better to check a gun two or three times than not check it at all. Don't take somebody's word for it. If they hand you a loaded weapon, even if you're inexperienced, ask them to show you it's unloaded. So that's if they tell you it's unloaded. You tell them, show me. How do I check? How do I find out? That's something, again, you can learn from videos, but you want to actually learn how to do it yourself. And if you can't function the way, if you can't make the mechanical motions, you can't pull the slide back on your own, you don't know how, get them to show you. Say, show me this is unloaded. And they say, oh, no, it's unloaded. It's fine. Just show me. A good instructor will not even, they'll show you without you even asking. Or they'll teach you how to do it. Then you unload the weapon yourself or check for a chamber. They're just... I never want to hear of anybody I know having an accident where they didn't know the gun was loaded. That is a lousy excuse for having an accident with a firearm. There's no reason to do that if you follow the rules of gun safety. Always check the weapon. You can check it two or three times. That's fine. I mean, most places, if you go ask to see a gun, they're going to check it before they hand it to you. And myself, I will, if it's closed when I get it, I'll open it again just to double check. Make sure he, because he does this all day long, he may not even pay attention if there was a round in the chamber. If something went into the chamber and didn't get extracted when he pulled it back, maybe there's something in there he didn't see. I want to take a look for myself. I want to make sure. Never hurts to check a gun twice. Never at all has anyone had an accident by checking a gun more than once. Absolutely check it again and again. But anyway, so now you're up to the point, you're up at the fire range, you're firing your first shot. You feel what it's like. You feel the recoil. You feel whatever flash is coming out of the front of it. You feel the, the blast from the heat. You're ready to fire now. You load up your, your gun. You put the magazine in it, and away you go. Fire your first magazine, and then after you're done, don't turn around with the gun in your hand and point the gun at somebody. Can't tell you how many times I've seen this. The guy will turn around, gun in his hand, keeping it pointed the way his body is facing, 
looking for his instructor. Put the gun down or put it back in the holster, back in the case, wherever you're doing. Put it down, then turn to talk to your instructor. And then there's also the hot shell dance warning. Always tell everyone shooting, if a shell goes down your shirt, put the gun down first, then do the dance to get the hot shell out of your shirt. Or if it falls, I've seen a guy had one, a shell, hot shell went up, fell between his glasses and his face. Fortunately, he dropped the gun on the firing range, pulled the glasses off, and was able to get the shell out without hurting anybody. And of course, there's videos all over the Internet of people turning around to look for a shell or turning around to, to get something out of themselves and accidentally firing around where it wasn't supposed to be fired. One guy was sweeping up behind somebody, and he dropped something. He turns around to get it, pointing the gun at the floor and fires around into the to the floor. If that guy had been sweeping a second sooner, he'd have been right there and got hit by the round. So be aware if you feel there's a good chance that while you're firing, a shell could land on you in your shirt somewhere where you're going to get the heat. You're going to feel it burn, and it will do that. It will burn you. But be aware. Put the gun down first, then dance all you want. And you'll see people do this, too. They'll, you know, it's like running into a spider web. Same effect. You want to get that hot shell off you as soon as possible. And they can land almost anywhere. It's kind of amazing. They'll land in the in the crux of your elbow. They'll land, like I say, between your hearing protection and your face, between your glasses and your face. They'll go down your shirt if you have a low-cut or loose-collared shirt on. Or if you have a polo shirt that's got a couple of buttons undone, it'll go right down your shirt. Put the gun down first, then do the hot shell dance because you do not want to do that with a loaded weapon in your hand. That's a very important rule. And I've had people... I've taken and I've stressed that enough to where has had a person have the shell go right down the front of their shirt. She dropped the weapon on the counter and then she started pulling her shirt about trying to get the shell to fall out the bottom. But I told her enough times to where she realized hot shell down the shirt, drop the weapon first, put it down, you know, put it down. It's not going to kill you. I guarantee a hot shell down the shirt will not kill you. It will burn a little. It will be a little uncomfortable. Probably won't even leave a mark. But, you know, it's a little hot, and it cools down very quickly. But still, it won't kill you if it falls on you somewhere, guaranteed. So put the gun down first. All righty. I guess that's about it. I mean, you know, you go to the range. You practice those things. Be aware of those particular certain things you have to know. And then you should be much more prepared, and your experience will be much more pleasurable, and you'll be more likely to continue your training Get things done that will help you. You'll become a better shooter, a better citizen for being armed and being able to take care of yourself and be your own first responder. All right. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you've been listening to America's Web Radio. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.